Welcome to Leverage Masters, airing weekly on Tuesdays at 12 Eastern and on demand on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Leverage Masters hosts Jack Humphrey and Gina Gaudio-Graves discuss leverage strategy with guest leveragists. Be sure to subscribe to Leverage Masters in your favorite podcatcher for great tips and case studies on using leverage to achieve your biggest goals much faster. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Leverage Masters. I am your co-host, Gina Gaudio-Graves, the dean and founder of DirectionsUniversity.com and the co-founder of TheLeveragists.com and Divisio, D-U-V-I-S-I-O.com, the all-new affiliate network for people doing good. We have got a fantastic show lined up for you guys today. We have my co-host and the Associate Dean of DirectionsUniversity.com, Jack Humphrey, joining us. Hello, Jack. Hello. How are you on this fine Tuesday afternoon? I am awesome. It's another warm, sunny day here in South Florida. It better be. Florida, of course, after all. Right? I wouldn't Absolutely. expect a snow report. That'd be the day, right? (laughs) Well, we have a fantastic show lined up for everybody today, Jack. Do you see it in your panel or not? I do not. I don't know why. I keep refreshing and I can't see it. can't see my thing that I always have every week. I will just have (laughs) to tell everybody who our guest is for you then. How's that? All right. It's my favorite thing to do, but go ahead, just this one. Our guest is none other than Eddie Rodriguez from the SmileAndWaveProject.com. Eddie is creating a happiness movement one smile at a time. His goal is to share the smile with over 10 million people. He knows it's an unusual goal, but he's not your everyday guy. In fact, I can attest to that since I met him just last week. The smile with over 10 million, uh, I'm sorry, after financial loss, losing a loved one, and major health complications, Eddie decided to turn it around by creating more happiness in the world. He has every intention of accomplishing his huge goal with determination and leverage. Welcome, Eddie. Hi, Gina. Hi, Jack. How are you doing today? I am fantastic, Great. How are you? Eddie. Woohoo! Love it. Hello, everybody out there. Hope you're having an amazing day and that your and, week has really started out awesome. And I haven't even told Jack the big news, Eddie. Jack, I <laughs> have to go to... News? I have to go to yet another Speaking Empire event. I thought I was leaving this evening. Luckily, it has been postponed until next week. And Eddie is coming with me. Awesome. You guys are going on a road trip. We are. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) I'm really, really psyched and ready to go. So there's already enough. You just went to one. There's, there's another one in the in the same area? Well, it's the same guys. They do events every two to three weeks, Jack, and I'm going to every and, single one for the next 12 months. Awesome. Wow, you are a social butterfly these days. 
Aren't I, Val? Don't take no, the really secret there. weapon. <laughs> well, it should be fun. There's actually two events. One is Tuesday and Wednesday, and one is, no, sorry. One is Wednesday and Thursday, and one is Thursday and Friday. It's a group power day for speakers that will help speakers put their presentation together on Wednesday and Thursday, and then a high-end mastermind on Thursday and Friday with another group of speaker coaches. Nice. So it should be fun. Our kind of people. Yep. Eddie and I are going Absolutely. there to help them get financing. <clears throat> financing so Jack, is always important. It really is. Yeah. Why don't you start, Eddie, out with your favorite question, Jack? Yes, and this might be pretty interesting because uh, it's Eddie, and it's, it's, he, he's just unexpected in every way, in a delightful <laughs> way. But we start everybody off with uh, the same question every week, which is what gets you out of bed in the morning every day with a fire burning in your belly to do something amazing? I, well, I got to tell you, Jack, it's the smile. It, every single day, I know that I have the opportunity to go out and share smiles and make a difference in people's lives and make a difference in my own life. By going out there and sharing, you know, my smile with other people, they're sharing their smile with me, and then it creates a ripple effect. And that ripple effect, I know, can go across the world because you start somebody out with a smile, they're going to go smile at 10, 20, 30 other people, and your energy carries with that. And as that smile is shared, it makes the world just a little bit better for that amount of time that people keep sharing it. And I think that gets me out of, out of bed every day. That fires me up, and I know that it makes a difference in all of our lives when we put more positive energy out there because it makes a shift. Yeah. It reminds me of that meme that you see occasionally going around uh, social media of the – there's a couple of guys that I've seen stories about that have spent their entire lives reforesting a desert patch in some place in Africa or something like that, and, you know, they plant trees every day. They plant stuff, awesome. and the, the land that they're planting it in is just, just barren, just desolate, and anybody would look at that and go – Nothing can live here. You're stupid for even <laughs> trying. There's no way. Right. But what he's done is he's come from a place of his own well, of literally his own well, and he's expanded it. You don't go into the middle of the desert and plant a tree and expect it to live, but right on the edge where the trees or any kind of plants start growing, that's where you mm -hmm. start. And these guys have spent their entire lives building giant forests. One one smile, one tree at a time. It's just like what you're doing here is everybody, you know, you can't go into the middle of a – I wouldn't suggest going to the middle of New York City or Washington, D.C., where the energy is – there's no well. You have no – you're cut completely off, and there's a lot of anger and stuff like that. But you can start planting trees and where you are, right? Isn't that kind of a good analogy? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. You You tell me. <laughs> Oh, I, I think that's an absolutely fantastic analogy. They're kind of like Johnny Appleseed that went around and they started plant, you know, planting seeds and things like this, and they're growing a forest, which is an amazing thing because that helps to put that oxygen out in the earth and it helps us to breathe better 
and, and it just helps so many things that are, it's absolutely incredible. Well, I'm kind of like Eddie Smile Seed. I go out and plant <laughs> smiles and help them to grow and cultivate and, and just put amazing energy out there. So I love that analogy. I think it really kind of fits. Sweet. Cool. Let's keep it. Um, <laughs> Let's keep until it. we can find a better one and replace it with that. This, is, this will there be our go. control. We're marketers, so <laughs> we'll have a control. And uh, Yeah, I, I just really love that stuff. You know, and I think – I think those kinds of things are amazing. And the stories you usually hear about those Johnny Appleseed types are what they have done in the world. But what I'd like to know about, and this is a question for you because you can actually spread some light on this because you've experienced this really purposefully. You can tell people about your your uh, trip uh, now if you would like, but I, I would love to hear a story about these guys and the effect that the work that they do has had on them, not I mean, it's a fascinating thing what it happens in the world around them because of what they do and what you do. But mm-hmm. what's the experience like? What kind of what does it do for you? Because it's not completely a selfless act, is it? Not a hundred percent. No, no, not a hundred percent. You know, I've, I've got to tell you, it, the effect can be astronomical. I mean, it can help in so many different ways. And I know from the experiences that I've had how some of the people have been affected by, by the walk that I did. Uh, you kind of mentioned the trip. So that's a walk that I did from Deerfield Beach to Manhattan, New York. And basically I walked for the smile. What I call, I coined the phrase, happiness awareness. And that's to let people know that no matter what situation you're in, you can be happy, you can be joyful, you can move forward. You never give up, you never surrender. And you take the stress that you have in your life and you transform it into rocket fuel that will propel your life forward as long as you keep dealing with it. And the thing is, is that I know I have a couple of friends of mine, and this, I love this story because it, it's really, you know, a, just a beautiful thing to me. I have a couple of friends of mine that, uh, they, you know, they were watching me along the walk and, and you know, they've always followed me with the happiness and things like that. And this one lady in particular, she had gained a lot of weight, okay? And when she looked at the things that I was doing, you know, I'm walking from Florida to New York. I didn't train for it. I didn't plan it. I didn't do anything. I just walked. And she looked at that and she said, oh, my gosh. If Eddie can do that, what can I do? And so she, she was a, a hairdresser. She was losing clients because she wasn't able to keep her arms up very much because she had gained so much weight. And the next thing you know, she got herself on a, on a weight control program, and she lost over 100 pounds. And she got her boyfriend to join her. Her boyfriend, I believe it was 180 pounds, maybe 160. Wow. But I believe it was 180 pounds that he lost. And all of a sudden, her business started coming back, and she started teaching the ladies that came to get their haircut how to do the same thing. So that one little smile, that one little example blew up, took a life of its own, and started creating other things for other people. And that's what it's all about. Yeah. It's all about what can you do, how can you help, what is it that you can do in your life to contribute to other people, help them to move forward. 
and help them to be better in their own lives if they choose to. I have a feeling if you get this, and I think everybody's, everybody's glimpsed this uh, several times throughout their lives, and maybe thought it was just an accident so they didn't think they could make it into a system. But you know how a junkie might get up in the morning and their first thought is, I got to go get a drink, I got to go get that drug, I got to go get, I got to go get, you know? What if we got so into this as, as a species that every mm-hmm. time we wake up in the morning, we wake up with that same desire, I've got to go find somebody to make happy. I've got to go find somebody to help. I have to. Like a junkie. Like this is, this is really what people are starting, I believe, to discover is the essence of life itself, that that's what we were really built to do. And that's why I was going to ask you, how do you commoditize something? Because the commodity in the, the world of emotions is I'm not happy, so I need to go to Target and buy something that will make me happy. That's how we've commodified away from happiness Nobody knows how to achieve it, apparently, so the best that we can do is give you some gadgets that you can buy on Amazon that make you feel less hollow inside, which, in fact, we all know that doesn't happen, and you've got to keep buying more stuff. And we kind of stopped there because the economy got really good. Once we figured out, we could pretend like we don't have a problem if we just keep buying stuff. Now I've got to have a job that will support my buying habits because I'm trying to replace it with empty calories. Uh, I don't know how to be happy, so I need a new thing. I need new stuff all the time, a steady supply. And, of course, everybody's, you know, very unsatisfied with that kind of an existence, right? It never really gets you there. You're perpetually in search of real true happiness. I don't even think people know that that's what they're after anymore sometimes. Sometimes I wonder if they, uh, they understand that what's missing in their lives is happiness, real true happiness. What do you think it was going to take? You know, I just read a story, and I think this is pertinent. On, uh, just before the show, um, Wildlife Conservation International has come up with uh, a plan to sell bonds that are directly related to and supporting um, natural forests and forest recovery, forest growth. That's another thing that has not been commoditized very properly in our economies is, you know, the value of of tree per, or, or um, oxygen-producing trees, you know, our lungs of our planet and things like that. The only way that we can commoditize that or monetize that is to cut them down and make houses out of them. And, and they've come up with a way to, you know, fit something that's good for us into the economy and make it make economic sense. Do you think that there's a way that we'll ever get to the point where we can do that with plain old Happiness. A lot of people might be saying, well, that's great for you that you could do that, but how do you make a living? You walked from here to there, and you did all these really amazing, demonstrably uh, amazing things, but how do you make a living? How, how does this fit into an economy? I would love to do that too, but i got to work, is what I'm thinking some people might be saying to themselves right now. How do you answer that? Well, here's, here's the funny thing, is if you're sad, Everything's a struggle, right? Everything that you look mm-hmm. at is like, well, why is this like that? Why, you know, what's happening to me? And everybody's having like what you call the pity parties. Not everybody. I'm sorry. I don't mean to say everybody. Right. <laughs> but a lot of people are having that pity party. Why is this happening to me? And it happens on a daily basis. 
And the funny thing is, is that, you know, they don't, they get trained to not see the good side of life. And one of the things that they don't realize is it's become a habit in their life to see more negativity and to see more closed doors and to see more roadblocks in their life than it is to see happiness. Now, it's a good point that you brought up about the the drug addicts and things like that, because I, at one time, was a drug addict. I'm no longer a drug addict, okay? And the thing is, is that every day I had to wake up and I had to smoke a joint or I had to pop a quail load or I had to do some cocaine or something like that to lift me up. So I did cocaine to lift me up, and then I did quaaludes to bring me down. It was crazy, absolutely crazy. Well, I figured out, okay, you know what? If I keep on this path, I'm going to die. So I need to turn this around, and I did. And that's not where the happiness was totally created, but that was a good start, is stopping the things that we do on a normal basis that are our habits and create something new to replace them like happiness. Now, you've heard the term, fake it till you make it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've, I've had to do that as well. 2006, three major things that occurred in my life. Number one, I had a, I had a, uh, a manager that came in and, you know, I gave him full reign to the, my company. I wanted to step away and become a motivational speaker. And he ended up siphoning some money out of my, my business. So I had to jump back in, and I had to rebuild my business. Five months after that happened, I got myself back in black. Five months after that, my oldest daughter was in Korea. Her husband was in the military. They got into a moped accident, and she passed away 45 days later. Four Hmm. months after that, I had a cerebral hemorrhage. I had three veins that burst in the back of my brain. I wound up in the hospital for two weeks four months sleeping on a, on a lazy boy because I could not lay down on my bed. Let me tell you something. After these events, I needed happiness in the worst way. So what did I do? I started to fake it till I made it. I started the smile campaign where I wanted to share 10 million smiles across the world. I got everything that I could get my hands on that made me laugh. And I laughed and I laughed and I laughed until happiness became automatic. And when you become happier in your life, let me tell you something. Your economy is going to go up because now you're joyful. You're happy to get out there every day. You're talking to people. Your business is easier. Things just get better. And a way to monetize things is, is to release the stress that you have in your life. Now, the thing is, wow. is everybody looks at, yeah, people look at stress as a, um, a really negative down thing. Truth is, don't we need stress, a little bit of stress in our life? I mean, doesn't that actually help us to move forward? You know, oh, yeah. Like an, yeah, right? Stress well, is like there's an there's indicator a, a, light in your car. Go ahead. Right. Well, when they built the biosphere, I love this story. I tell it lots. Probably some people have heard it, me tell it before. But it's uh, when they built the biosphere, they were trying to figure out how they could have an, a complete system under a dome uh, in a greenhouse out in Arizona, right? 
and mm-hmm. they were learning all kinds of things. It was an utter failure in so many ways, but it was a, but but we learned so much from those failures that a lot of people considered much of it a success. One of the things that we never even considered when when the palm trees started to just kind of limp over and then they had to tie them up because they couldn't stand under their own power, it took them a little bit to figure out what the heck's wrong. Why are these things turning to mush at their base? And then somebody finally figured out, there's no wind in the biosphere. Your stress that you were just talking about. Those trees, they're like muscles. Those fibers get torn and they grow back stronger as a tree grows and wind hits it. It breaks fibers that, just like your muscles when you go lift weights in the gym, grow back stronger. And without that resistance, without any wind, these trees still did their natural thing. They grew toward the sun, but they didn't ever get their their fibers strengthened by breaking under stress and regrowing them. And so they had to end up tying up all the trees to the roof um, of, of the biosphere because they didn't know how to create wind inside the biosphere that was going to do that for them. So, yes, I would say stress is a very, very important. Resistance maybe is a good, you know, we, we need to be able to look at having to walk uphill for a little while as a good thing. I crave the hills in my walk every day. I love them for the pain that it creates in my in my legs because I know that that pain represents fibers that are tearing and then getting, you know, I'll come home and have a whole bunch of protein and they'll get rebuilt stronger and I know I'm getting stronger. Pain is an indicator in that case of strength, not something uh-huh. to avoid. You know, I I totally agree with you. Oh yeah, and and that's a great analogy about those those trees, you know, because the wind definitely helps them to strengthen themselves. And also, I don't know if you know about the butterfly. The butterfly, when it's in the cocoon and it's trying to break out, okay, the way that it strengthens itself is to push, push against that cocoon until it finally mm-hmm. breaks free. Now, if you think that a butterfly is struggling and you go ahead and you break open the cocoon, the butterfly will die mm. because it doesn't have the strength to fly. And so stress, although it can be a negative thing, can also be a positive thing. Stress is like an indicator. It really just depends on how you look at it. Yes. It? I mean, doesn't yes, it? Absolutely. If you if you look at it like I'm in pain walking up this hill, tomorrow I will find a way to have a more flat route so I don't have to, then I'm looking at it negatively. I'm saying that this stress doesn't have any real value to me whatsoever. There's nothing to learn from it. There's nothing to gain from it. And therefore, I think negatively about it. And, you know, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, <laughs> when people look at things that way. It's stress in and of itself certainly isn't a bad thing. You're going to have to look a little deeper at the context of that stress. And what is the universe trying to tell you when things like that happen, you know? It's, it's exactly. It's, it's that indicator light in your car that says check engine. That's basically what stress is. It's telling you there's something in your life that you need to check out, something in your life that you need to focus on and fix. And if you don't fix it, it's going to keep coming back in different ways and different shapes and different forms. But basically, if you get down to the core of it, it's the same thing. So 
what you need to do is you really need to take that stress and turn it into rocket fuel to propel yourself forward, to move forward in your life and to become happier, to become more centered, to become more balanced. And watch what happens to the bottom line in your business when you take that stress and you channel it to something that's going to help you. When you take your happiness and channel it into something that's positive and channel all of the things that you do towards building a better life, to understanding life better, to understanding people better. And one of the great things in my book to be able to do is to understand where somebody's coming from so that when they're speaking and they may be on a negative plane, you can understand that, hey, this is what's going on, and you know that the things that they're complaining about and things like that are not really what the problem is, but it's just the effect of where it comes from. Oh, man, I just wonder so many times about uh, the hundreds of people who I've consulted and um, taught over the years, the many, many years, who have come and I've immediately jumped on what they told me was the problem that they wanted me to solve without thinking right. for a second that maybe it wasn't the problem. It's, it's, maybe it was a symptom. And it, it just it kind of torments me a little bit. What, could I, what would it be like if I knew then what I know now? How would I start my consulting <laughs> sessions with new business clients and how much would it trip them out that I'm not attacking the problem right away, that they're paying me and, and have asked me to tackle, uh, but looking a little bit off to the side and, and having a sit with them, you know, and a chat, mm-hmm. like, how's everything going? I do that now exclusively all the time. When I, but, but before I didn't, I was like, you, you want me to solve this problem, then I'm going to solve this problem. A lot of times I couldn't get the problem solved to my satisfaction or theirs mm-hmm. because I wasn't treating a problem. I was treating a symptom, and you can't cure a symptom. There's no cure for symptoms. <laughs> right. You can only cure There's the problem, not. and the symptoms go away. Right, and most of the time they don't know. They only know the, the symptoms. They don't know the problem. You know, and, and mm-hmm. another thing is, is that, you know, Albert Einstein, once he said, what was it exactly he said? He said that the same mind that created the problem cannot fix it. So yeah. in order to create, you know, fix the problem, you have to change your mind. And that's, yeah. that is like phenomenal. And it's so true because if you're still in that mindset of stress, if you're still in that mindset of unhappiness, you're not going to be able to fix the problem. You're not even going to be able to figure out what the problem is. Only what you believe that it is. And so, so everybody with that reptilian mind. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, that daggone amygdala. The, uh, it, it, just for everybody listening, whatever you think about right now, what, you tell me, Eddie, is this constructive? Whatever you think your problem is in your business right now, maybe back off that a little bit. Back off mm-hmm. of that and, one, and, and then start looking at it like maybe it's a symptom. And if it was a symptom, what does it lead to? Because symptoms always lead to the problem. Right. If you look at right. it close enough, if you analyze it, if you take the time to realize that there's maybe another possibility and another path forward for you than the one that you're on right now, yeah, that that'd be constructive reminder for for anybody listening. I would think. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I, I agree with you 100%. If you take the symptoms 
and you go backwards and start thinking about, okay, what's brought up this symptom? And then they're taking you to another one and to another one and to another one and to another one. And then pretty soon, next thing you know, you're sitting at the problem and you're looking at it dead in the face. Yeah. And now you can tackle it because you know what it is. Because you tackle wonder, it. I wonder if there's some truth to the idea when we were talking about consumerism before as a, as a very empty calorie way of, of filling a void in your life never really mm-hmm. satisfies. Contrary to the Snickers commercial, uh, it never really does satisfy, <laughs> not for long. No, um, no. I wonder if we fill if we fill another void in our lives with it's my autoresponder. That's the problem. Hmm. I don't know how to use an autoresponder. I don't know how to make a funnel. I don't know how to sell information products and start an affiliate program. Those are my problems. And I right. remember going through a lot of stuff like that going, yeah, that's what it is. That's for me. That's what it is. I've got to get my copyright. I've got to get my, um, you know, I've got to do a better job with this or that or whatever. And I wonder how many times I did that when it was none of those things. And the reason I bring that up is because Gina and I do these hub seats. You were just on one last week. Oh, and uh, And we, we get to talk to all kinds of really cool people in all walks of life, like every kind of business you can imagine every kind of background you can imagine. And, and, and we had one this year where we took it to the radical fringe, the absolute edge. We, hang, we hung tin over the edge of, the, uh, of our own consulting experience and actually ended up a hug seat telling someone they should not, very specifically should not build a website. You shouldn't even have a website. And so, like, everybody gets on there and they're like, well, you guys know all this stuff. I probably need a website, a membership, uh, software. I'm going to need some autoresponders. I'm going to need all this stuff. And they start junking up. Like when you have a, a brand-new credit card and you're in your favorite store, you, just, like, you feel like the buying of those things is building your business, which, of course, we all know is not. But we all do it. It's like, oh, I'll get this new software to run this, and it'll be okay. And we took it to such an extreme that we knew that if she was – half as successful as we had just planned out that she should be, then if she had a website, it would blow her out. She would be, she, she, she could only serve so many, and it was such a high-ticket thing that there was no reason for her to sit and worry and bulk up on all that empty calorie stuff, autoresponders and funnels and all that junk. Mm-hmm. We told her to stay, stay on social media, and I tell that story to to open it up for you to talk about what what that means to you. Like, you can be successful without any of those tools that you think are required. And and if, and then the, the the lesson for me was, a lot of times we think it's the tools that are supposed to save us from things, and it's really just a you know we're not happy yet. And until we get happy, we know we're going to fail. So if I keep working on my logo, if I keep working on my autoresponder sequence. I never have to launch, and therefore I will never fail because I'll, it's not my fault. It is, it's not how I feel. It's that it's this stupid autoresponder or my hosting or something, right. and you never have to really actually launch. Does that ring true for you? Or you probably work with people like that you know, in those situations. Oh, yeah, most definitely. There's people that everything will hold them back. If something is not 100%, I can't put it out there because it's not 100%. I'm waiting for this. I'm waiting for that. You know, the webmaster's not doing his job. Oh, my gosh, you know, the hosting blew up and da 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 You know, every, everything in the world can come up. But how about 
if we start building relationships. Just building relationships. Instead of selling somebody something, communicate with them and give them offers. Offers that they can take and really change their lives. And then all of the other things really are not unimportant, but it's not as, as important to get out so quickly if we continue to do the work. Never give up, never surrender, always move forward. And sometimes moving forward might be taking steps back and just looking at the whole situation and saying, is this what I really need? And not to stress about it, but to go, ah, I get it. I don't need that website because it's really not producing anything for me, and I'm spending all this time trying to get it done, trying to get it out there, but it goes nowhere. What's better is if I socialize, I go out there on social media, I go out to networking events, I go out and I talk to the people, I contact clients, and I give something that they can use not only in their business, but in their life. That way they see you have a heart, and you care more about them than you do about the numbers. And when you care more about the people and you give them what they need, your numbers will go up. They'll just show up automatically. And that's the beauty of it. That's, you know, that's my take on this whole thing. You know, it's really the commodity here are, is relationships, right? I mean, it is. You can you can fail at your your copy on your sales letters. Mm-hmm. You can fail mm-hmm. at you can mess up your funnel that you're trying to get subscribers to go through and 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 eventually customers to buy things. You can screw up a lot of things and still come out smelling like a rose if you have the right relationships because all of those things I just described can be fixed. But if Absolutely. you are out there trying to do it all by yourself, you're the one who's going to have to fix it. And if you don't know how, <laughs> then you're absolutely at a cold, dead stop. You, you have nowhere to go. But if you have those relationships, you can say, hey, what shopping cart do you use? Is there any way I could get in? Uh, you know, maybe I could set this product up on your cart for a minute, and you know, we'll be a joint venture partner. You'll get 50%. I mean, you've got somebody to work with in the world right. on <laughs> mm-hmm. stuff that's really important to you. I, I just think... You can always do something if you have relationships. It's, it's very difficult to do anything without them. And even if you have an unlimited budget to buy all the flashy little tools, the best hosting, copywriters, and everything else, I would still take the relationships. You know That exercise, I know you've heard this before. Everybody loves to ask the old marketers, uh, if you lost everything... And, and you had 30 days to get you know enough of it back that you couldn't you wouldn't lose your house and stuff like that, and all you had you didn't have any of your hosting, any of your tools or anything else, and you didn't have either any of your relationships, none of your connections, because I know you could just call up mm-hmm. Gina and she could mail her list and you'd be out of trouble right away. So you can't do that either. Right. And I start the story off the same way I think you probably would. It'd be start making friends right away. Absolutely. Relationship period not trying to build a new product, not trying to do any of that stuff. The first place you go is go serve somebody else right away, build relationships. And do you, do you mind if I tell a little story about the walk that I did? Absolutely. Go for it. 
Okay, this, I think, is a perfect thing that fits exactly what you're talking about. Okay. 2011, I had, well, actually, 2010, I had decided I wanted to do a video in Washington, D.C. to promote the smile. And, it, you know, I was going to do a video out there that says, Smile and Wave America, we love you. Well, in 2011, March, I walked out of my house and my van was gone. And this was the van that in three months I was going to drive to Washington, D.C. and do this video. So my mind started racing. How am I going to do this video? I didn't think about replacing the van. I didn't think about insurance. I didn't think about all that stuff. It was like, this is so important to me, building relationships with people and letting them know that, you know, hey, their smile is important and they are important. And you know what? We love you. So my brain just went, okay, you know what? Nobody's going to stop me from doing this. And I will not have any of the tools that I need because I'm going to walk. I'm just going to walk to Washington, D.C. Now, the funny thing is, I did not set this up. I didn't plan any of it because all of a sudden from a drive, it went to a walk. I had $200 in my pocket to start. I wanted to prove that people are inherently good, okay, and that, you know, you can make it to Washington, D.C. with $200 in your pocket. Well, guess what? Every day I needed a place to stay. I needed a place to eat. And I had a cart that I, I tied around my waist that was 20 inches by 40 inches that had all my stuff on it. Okay? So $200, you're not getting very far, are you? Well, guess what? With that $200, I made it all the way to New York. Because when I reached my destination in Washington, D.C., I decided this isn't over. The relationships that I was building along the way, the way that people opened up and helped hotels gave me rooms. I never slept one night outside. I never once starved. I never once had any problems when my cart broke down. There was always somebody there to fix it. And without the relationships, I would not have been able to done that, you know, to do that. And the thing is, is if you add everything up, okay, it probably would have been about $60,000. Because, you know, you take the hotels, you take the food, and at every place that I went, I tipped 20%. Now, how do you do that with $200? Relationships. Building relationships helping people to be happier in their lives, helping people to get out of that reptilian mind that we all have, that old mind that is scared, that, is, that doesn't open up, that always has the wall up. You help them bring those barriers down, life opens up. And it is absolutely amazing. It's a it's a trust exercise, isn't it? You it's like falling back and hoping the person behind you is going to catch you. Um, I don't know where we got to that point because the person behind you is, of course, built to respond to a falling person in front of them by catching them. But somehow we Absolutely. lost the the idea that that could happen. Like maybe somebody would just let me fall. Where in the world did we get off track so much that that has to be a trust exercise? 
when, of course, any normal human being should be able to expect that if you start to fall and there's somebody behind you, they're going to catch you. It's a default reaction. So to me, it says a lot about how far we've come thinking that we're, we're these um, islands unto ourselves. Like if you had planned this all mm-hmm. out, like you did have it kind of planned, you, you were, you were going to take the van and mm-hmm. you, know, you were going to have your own resources and you, you were going to do this all yourself. Having the van is a representation of somebody who is, in this particular instance, could be very delusional because you, their van can only go as far as it's able to before it could break down. And if right. you're not a mechanic, guess what? You're going to need somebody. You could go mm-hmm. as far as you could as you had the money to put gas in the tank, and when you didn't have that anymore, guess what? There's nothing you personally are going to be able to do without the help of someone else. And it's like you can only carry so much water. At some point, you're going to need a watering hole. It's going to probably belong to someone. You're going to have to ask them if they, you can use their well. People, Other people always come into the picture, and no one is this, is this – self-sustaining as a lot of people would like to think. I mean, and, and the people who are, guys like Grizzly Adams who lived out in the <laughs> in the wilderness <laughs> and everything, if people are being Daniel. honest about them, yep, Daniel Boone, if they're being honest, they they look at the plight that they went through and, and they're, they're taking that into account as well as their hard-won independence because at any given moment, it could all be over. And they're risking their lives. And you know, happily doing so for the most part. But if you watch those shows and you watch those documentaries and read those books, that kind of life, you know, those guys didn't start it at birth and go all the way to death mm-hmm. living just like that without the aid of anyone else ever. You know, it's only a piece of their life you're looking at in the first place. It's not probably mm-hmm. sustainable to think that everything can be on your shoulders and you can do it all without the help of others. Now, the funny thing is you bring in that up, okay? These guys, you look at these guys and you think, look at everything they accomplished all by themselves. Well, was it really all by themselves? Weren't they fur traders? They went yeah. out and they shot, <laughs> they shot animals, okay? And they had to trade those furs in order to get other things that they needed. So even though they, yes, they were, they were known for their independence and the things that they did. They really weren't as independent as we look at them. They needed the relationships. Because if they couldn't trade first, they couldn't get the supplies that they needed in order to keep going to be that self-made man. Yeah. Really, there is. Yeah. It, I mean, it just, it just does break down. Wherever, however you look at it, if you're being honest, mm-hmm. it breaks down all the time. This rugged individual kind of thing. And I think a lot of that's built into what people's remedial views of being an entrepreneur, um, you know, come from. And it's like an entrepreneur. It's somebody who pulls – got all the cliches. Get all the cliches out of the cliché bucket. Pull yourself up from your bootstraps, self-made mm-hmm. man or woman, all that cliché bullcrap. And I'm here to tell you, and you are too, and Gina can too, we've been entrepreneurs for a very significant amount of our lives. <laughs> and we know right. for sure – that that all is BS. There's no such mm-hmm. thing as pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps and that you are here today just because you are a very successful person at being a human, a very good, powerful, strong human. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. 
And I think a lot of, I watch, the only reason I'm interested in this subject is I watch people come and they're like, you know, they have that mentality where they feel almost guilty that they can't get everything done on their own. And I'm like, dude, you have, you're an entrepreneur. That's hard enough. Don't lay extra baggage on your back with the guilt and everything else that you feel like, because it's not true. All that stuff you feel guilty about is not true. There isn't nope. anybody out there who's just like Richard Branson. You know, I don't know what people think, how much he has to do with his day-to-day operations, but I think waking up is probably the, the hardest thing that he does in a given day. Everything else is by right. choice. He might carry some girls on his shoulders while he's water skiing that day. That that sounds a little <laughs> bit hard, but he needs a guy to drive the boat, and he needs right. girls that are willing to sit on his shoulders. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it, it's wonderful how the world works when you start building the relationships and you start getting other people involved in the things that you're doing, the projects that you have. Now, some people say, oh, it's really difficult to find people. And you know what? I can agree with that. But if we try to remove the thing that we say it's difficult to find people and add in the piece that I did along my walk, one of the things that I said to myself was, I wonder who's going to show up. And it was hilarious because the first time that I said that, I had broken down. I was in Jupiter, Florida, and I was actually pushing a stroller. I had two duffel bags in the stroller with all my stuff, and I'm going to push this stroller all the way to Washington, (laughs) D.C. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. So I'm pushing the stroller, and one of the wheels pops off, and I'm standing there holding the wheel in my hand, and I'm like, Okay, what now? So I pulled out my video camera. I started videoing myself and saying, hey, you know, this wheel broke down. This is my first breakdown, da 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 And I did two things. I said, one, I need to create laughter. And so I started laughing, laughing about it, and I thought about it. I said, you know what? I'm going to use emergency laughter. This is laughter that I think that I can use at any time to help break my mood. Okay? So I love the Does that come in a can? You know what? It comes in any form that you want it to because you create it. <laughs> you know, you can pop, pop the top of a can and, and start laughing about the way that it opens. It doesn't matter. The, the thing is, I hear the, the, the guys that fill up cans of, cans of laughter are the same uh, filling company that fill up the cans of whoop-ass. So there you go. You know, if you have a if you have an allergy to whoop ass, uh, it was made in the same plant. So you want to get your laughter somewhere else. <laughs> Nut allergy jokes. I never get to work um, those into um, a show. Hey, well now here's the first opportunity, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, but that that piece that I told you that I wonder who's going to show up. Yeah. That that really filled all of the voids that I could have had along that walk because there was times I really needed help because I had no tools along that walk. I had no place to stay. I didn't know where I was going to stay from one night to the other. I couldn't carry enough food with me in my cart to feed me and sustain me. I didn't have enough money in my pockets to be able to keep going. Yet, All of that was created. All of that came to me 
automatically at the exact moment that I needed it because I had that question. I wonder who's going to show up to help. And don't you also we did all something really important. And, and you provided people with the opportunity to do something you know for a fact from firsthand experience will make them mm-hmm. feel better, to be oh, useful, yeah. to help somebody out. I, I, I always, um, you know, I, I worked for Greenpeace and, and uh, you know, I was a deadhead for quite a few years and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I, um, you know, I always had a, I always had a little stigma guilt on the back. It's like, well, I'm going to a dead show and I need somebody to help me out with something, and it'll be somebody who's right. working full time. And and mm-hmm. I would have this little twinge of guilt in the back. It's like, wait, they got to work full time so they can support, in some small way, somebody like me who's mm-hmm. who's chosen not to do that. How is that fair? It took me years and years to look back on experiences where people helped me to realize that I had done them a favor. I'd given them a really good reason to feel good, to help somebody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it was an easy thing to do. They didn't have to go looking for someone to help. I appeared. <laughs> Here, you can help yeah. me, and you will feel better in the doing of it. It took a long time to get to that point where I didn't feel like a, a freeloader or, um, you know, that, that thing. where I, It goes all the way to entrepreneurialism. The business owners are like, I don't want to go ask people for stuff. I don't want to have my hand out for a joint venture. Mm-hmm. I don't want to – if you have something really, really cool, venture partner prospect sees that, you're giving them the opportunity to be involved with something that is going to make them feel better, and it's not just going to make them, you know, 50% commission, you know. And if that's your selling point, I think you're probably selling yourself short, you know. Commission is understood. That's why I'm asking you to be a joint venture partner. Mm -hmm. We can talk about that if you want, but here's what I'm really excited about is Mm – how most joint venture conversations never happen, I think. <laughs> I think everybody's like, I'm paying fifty percent commission. <laughs> yep. You're right you're right about that. You know? And the funny thing is is that it is truly an exchange. It's giving and receiving, which a lot of people don't want to do in their life. And here's here's one of the things that I did afterwards when I wrote my book. It's from F L to N Y basically from Florida to New York abbreviated, okay? In my book, when you go to the back of it, I thank the people that helped. That's something that other people don't do, is they they don't write it in some place that everybody can read. I thank this person, I thank that person, I thank this person, I thank that person, I thank this hotel, I thank this food place, I, I got stuff from this person, you know, and so I thank them in my book for everything that they did. Now, we talked about my next tour, which is 10 million smiles across the world, and we talked about a tour bus. I had a trucker that gave me a ride 900 miles on my way home. I talked to him the day after we had our show. I talked to him the next day, and he says, what's this about a tour? And I told him about it, and he says, you know what? I want to pay for some gas for that tour. Now, this is a guy that helped me on the walk. And he says, I tell everybody the story about us, and they don't believe me because they can't believe what you did while you were in my truck. You know, I I got a hotel uh, to to sponsor me while I was sitting in his truck driving to Florence, South Carolina. Okay? And he couldn't believe it. He he, he flipped out. But And here he is now (laughs) 
all these years later saying, I want to pay for gas for your next trip. That's building relationships. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. There's a, on the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, and to a lesser mm-hmm. degree, the Rocky Mountain uh, Trail, the three big ones that you can do from north to south or south to north all the way across the country. Um, mm-hmm. The Pacific Crest Trail goes from Mexico, of course, to Canada. It's 2,660 miles. Uh, most people who start don't finish it. Um, right. And along that trail, I learned about something called trail magic. And it's mm-hmm. when you're a hiker and you haven't had a piece of chocolate. Like, you won't carry anything that you absolutely don't need. And the most important thing that you have is water. And it's the heaviest thing you've got. So you will forego. You don't get to have a glass of wine at night. You're out in the wilderness and you wouldn't dare carry a big, heavy glass bottle with wine in it or even just extra wine or anything like that. So there's a lot of opportunity for trail magic. People, just to feel good are called trail angels, and they never meet the hikers that they help. But the people who live in the, mm-hmm. around the, the trail, in the little towns that the trail goes through, they'll take a cooler full of apples. That's another thing, fruit, real fruit that's not dried is heavy. Yeah. And so hikers often don't take that stuff, and they freak out when they see a strawberry. They go absolutely <laughs> ape for, for a oranges and everything else and and uh, people put a cooler with ice they haven't seen ice in days you know since they were last in a town or something and uh and they're in the desert and everything and, the, and they call them trail angels what are tra- i mean what are people doing when they do that they never get to meet the hiker they don't get any kind of set like a handshake or a hug or anything sometimes they stick around and they're grilling burgers on the trail and they do get mm-hmm. to meet the hikers but a lot of them are anonymous why do they do that what is it for them to go spend money at a store and go take a cooler up this huge mountain to leave it at, a, at an intersection in the trail for people they're never going to meet? Why do they do that? Well, there's nothing that feels better than to help your fellow man, whether you meet them or not. It doesn't matter. It's the same feeling. It feels absolutely incredible to know that because of yourself, Somebody else is getting something they couldn't have without it. So, you know, they have a huge heart. They have a willingness to give up some things for themselves. And, and most of the time, they're really not giving up anything because they're just they're going out and buying apples and giving up a little bit of money. So what? So what? You're helping your fellow man. And that fulfills you and makes you happier, makes you more joyful. And believe it or not... It helps to relieve some stress that can surround you because all of a sudden you've done something good and that that stress is lifting off of your shoulders. Eddie, this is so fun. We could go for three more hours. I'm absolutely certain <laughs> of it. But we have yep, to tell people too. where they can find out more about you. Okay, they can go to Smile and waveproject.com. That's my website. Um, yeah, it's just kind of a silly little website to go out there and help people to, to smile. Also, when you go to that website, you can opt in to get a happiness newsletter, okay, and learn about some happiness events and little things that you can do in your life to, to help you to move forward. You can learn a little bit about de-stressology, um, which is something that I created 
and it's the science of de-stressing, and it's how to take your stress and turn it into rocket fuel and open up your happiness creative intelligence because we all have happiness creative intelligence. And so, you know, I hope that you visit. You can also see my book there. You can buy my book there. And when you click on to that site, your smile is counted because I am collecting 10 million smiles in my lifetime. Nice. Nice. Well, Gina, back to you. Thank you, Eddie, so much for being on today. Thank you, Jack. It was phenomenal being with you, and I want to thank everybody out there in the audience. You all are amazing people. Go out and give somebody a hug and a smile today and see how how much of a difference it makes in your life. Eddie, this was awesome, and I will see you next week. Yes, Gina. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Thanks again, and great job, Jack. We'll be back next week, same time, same place, for another episode of Leverage Masters. Have a great week, everybody. Stay happy. Tune in next week for another episode of Leverage Masters. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook on our Leverage Blackbook page to keep up with the latest. We'll see you next time on Leverage Masters. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like breakup R and B intense. I thought you said you love the sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama. I even had a gift.